Welcome to the Beer Shits Podcast. Come and talk about beer. We are women. We love beer. We're talking about beer. We don't make any sense. <laughs> Welcome to the Beer Shits Podcast. I'm your host, Amy. And this is Mel. We have a very cool episode. Who are we interviewing today? We're talking to Courtney from Service Brewing. Um, she is credited as Kansas's first female owned and operated brewery. Not only that, she is the brewer. Yeah. She makes the beer. And they, they make some pretty cool shit. She puts out an amazing number of beers. Right. Hard to keep up. So I first learned about, um, service through you, them being a local Kansas city brewery. So um i'd love to hear about how you came across them but first before we do let's talk about what we're drinking because we're highlighting services beers today more importantly let's start with what we're drinking we are having the wings have fallen this is a session new england ipa that was brewed to be light fluffy and fruity it was dry hopped with sabro am i saying that right citra and cashmere hops it is five percent abv and uh I really like it. What are your thoughts? I first time I'm surprised that it's only five percent because it seems like a very involved IPA. So I thought it was going to be a lot mm-hmm. higher alcohol content, especially because it's so fruity. You would think that there's a lot more sugar, so that like lends it to being like a higher alcohol content. But I will say that for being someone who's a little bit over the Nipahs, I I mean you saw me. This is the first time I had it. Like when we first cracked it open before we started recording, I was like. Holy shit, yes. I love this beer. I think it's great. It's fantastic. I think what I love most about it is that it's not overly fruity. So what I find with, there's there's a place for everything, but I really like hops. So my favorite style of IPA is one that can combine the fruit with the hops where you can still get the bitter hops flavor and not overwhelmed by the fruit. And this is, to me, like the perfect combination. And the other thing I love about it is that it's just got a great color. It, it looks like pear juice to me. Mm-hmm. And like, I just love that it looks very It rich. looks thick. Yeah, yeah, very thick. Yep. So how did you come across service? So uh, there's a few breweries uh, in this strip in Shawnee. And uh, me and some friends had gone out one night. And we, I'm not alone right? It's not just me and you. We have several friends who love going to local craft breweries and getting flights and trying all the beers. So we were very excited to go in and support this, you know, new local brewery. And we were just sort of really impressed by the atmosphere, the staff. The staff was incredible in helping us sort of pick. uh, Because again, Courtney puts out just an abundant variety of beers um so it's a little overwhelming when you're looking at the menu of of like yeah i want to try them all but i uh i I can't try i have to get home somehow so i can't have every beer in here right (laughs) i mean you could try i could try uber was made for thank goodness for uber Uber was started up by an alcoholic that makes sense (laughs) that makes sense sherry you should fact check that I'm pretty sure Uber was founded by an alcoholic. Maybe we could could have one of the Uber founders on. Your role in the craft beer industry is to get us home safely. (laughs) So, yeah, I remember when RBG died. So for our listeners who don't know that is, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Supreme Court. Supreme Court Justice. And also woman pioneer. Oh, my gosh. I mean... We were, heart- we were heartbroken, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, absolutely. But yeah, so when she passed away, I remember you sent me a photo mm-hmm. of their RBG-inspired beer. And then when you were like, we need to talk to Courtney from Service. And she, so they um, got a selection together for us for today's episode. And that was included. I was like, holy shit. Yes, I remember this. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. So the other thing that we love about Courtney, we've gotten to speaking, we've gotten to speak to her a couple times before we're going to do our interview is that she is very progressive um, and just has such a great story, I think, about opening her brewery. And I'm super excited to talk to her about that. Yeah, absolutely. And learn more about um, how she gets the ideas for these beers and how she puts them out so frequently. 
Um, I, I'm excited to learn more about her and, and her brewery style and what goes into these beers. Hashtag goals. Hashtag Big how does she have the time. Mm-hmm. Hashtag. Because she not only does she do this, she has a family. Yes. She travels. She loves to travel. She travels a lot. Yep. Which, again, hashtag travel goals. This could be our hashtag episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're digressing. Hashtag drink local. Okay, we'll be right back. (laughs) We're talking about Hey, did you know we like to talk? No? Well, we do. And we don't stop when we're not recording. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Beer Shits Podcast or Twitter at Beer Shits KC. You can also head to our website at www.beershitspodcast.com to check out our upcoming guests, news, and browse our merch. We're talking about All right. Well, we would like to say welcome to our podcast guest today. We have got Courtney Service here with us, who is the, is this right? First Kansas brewery owned and operated by a female head brewer. So there's some debate because I don't, there's not like a, like a directory where you like go and like, but I think I am. Um. (laughs) Hey, we're going to give it to you. Very exciting. Um, Yeah. So, so just a little bit about you. Um, You're from Kansas. Um, Your, your brewery is in Shawnee. It sounds like you were raised by some entrepreneurs. So no surprise that you, that you did it yourself. Um, I, I think for me, what drew me to your brewery right away, um, which is sort of highlighted on your, on your website is, is the fluidity, the, the, just the insane amount of beers that you put out and the styles that you put out as well. So welcome to the episode. We are extremely excited to have you and to talk more about your brewery and beer and everything else that, that goes along with it. Yeah. I think what I would love to hear is just about your journey. I mean, I know that you come from kind of a business background, but why beer and why your, uh, you know, your business, um, setup, like, why do you not do flagship beers? Give us your mantra. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I got into beer. Um, it's probably, I, I think I've been saying it was, it's six years ago, but I think that's probably wrong now. It's probably like seven or eight years ago. Um, I was living in a, pretty small town um didn't really know anybody uh it's where I had a job so that's just kind of what I was I was doing and I I was working part-time at um Walgreens actually because I was so bored and had no friends and someone that worked at Walgreens um his name's Angelo he was like hey you should come to this meeting with me and I'm like what is um, like what meeting and he's like it's a beer meeting and I'm like oh like the dude is like an alcoholic or like I didn't know that. I'm like, sure I can go sorry Angelo <laughs> yeah. and he's like no we like drink beer there and so I'm like well what is this like you go and you just drink and he was like so excited because that day was that meeting like it's once a month and he was just so excited about it and so I was like okay so I went and I was like completely like lost and floored by the fact that there were all these people gathering in this church, drinking beer the entire time and talking about beer the entire time. And they were so excited about it and so passionate about it. And I, it was just, it was, there was something about it that I felt like I like really needed to be a part of, and I didn't even drink beer yet. And so, so did and he, you have a beer there that you loved? Yeah. I mean, I liked everything that, that he had. Um, okay. I, I think we even, we got onto the topic of beer in the first place because we were talking about Boulevard's chocolate ale mm-hmm. and how I like wanted to try it, even though I knew nothing about beer. And I thought I was like, I thought maybe I knew something about beer. <laughs> and so he was like, dude, that beer is not as good as this beer that I made. And I'm like, Hmm, well, that's debatable. So anyway, and I actually did try his and I tried theirs and I liked his better and he was right. And he reminds me of that frequently. Um, but yeah, so I I love that Angelo and you are still friends. That's even, that's, that's a great part of the story. So, okay, good. He's a, he's a head brewer at Yankee tank in Lawrence. Yeah. And I always say that he's my mentor and he is, and probably will always be, but it, we're more like 
you know, just like, like I, I share things with him that I'm doing and he shares things with me that he's doing. And it's not necessarily like he knows everything now. He just did his first kettle sour the other day. And I was definitely giving him pointers on that. Absolutely. <laughs> but he also kind of set you on the trajectory of, of where you are now, your career path. I mean, that's powerful. Yeah. Very yeah. Cool. So he started letting me brew with him. Um, you know, every, I think we'd do it like once a week or something, we would just brew and, and talk about beer. And I kind of figured out what I liked and what I didn't like. And, um, I just got hooked and I got tired of waiting on him to brew. So I just bought all my own shit and started doing it. And, um, that kind of became a, you know, a little bit of an obsession. I went from this small system to this system to eventually this system. And, um, I met my wife along the way and we got married and had kids and, you know, all that whole thing. Um, but she told me from like the very beginning, like we are never opening a brewery. Like I, I don't want kids. Uh, so she obviously lost that argument. Yeah, yeah. She said, I, I don't want kids. I don't want to open a brewery and I want to travel a lot. And I'm like, mm, well, I want kids and I want to open a brewery. So yeah, that's like how I keep her like at least like stay married to me is like we go, we travel. Hey, it's about compromise, but I'm not going to lie. It sounds like I mean, when it comes to compromise, like it's very weighed heavily toward you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's absolutely don't, true. Don't tell your wife. Yeah, <laughs> don't let her listen to this podcast. She she reminds me that yeah. she lives to um, serve me, to to give me what I want, to make me happy. That is her purpose in life. She tells me. So why? Because you know, every place we go to, obviously, you know, they've got their rotating, but they they've got the ones that they have all year round. Tell us about that. Why, why do you, not only why, but how do you find the time to just make all of these incredible beers? Um, the, the reason that I didn't want to really do a, a flagship was just um, because I get, I get really kind of bored easily. And I, the idea of brewing the same beer over and over again, just seemed like it would be exciting for about a year. And then I would be like, why am I doing this? And in order for me to make it something that I felt like I could do for the rest of my life, um, I needed it to not be the same thing every single day. Um, so I say that we don't have flagships, but we, we, we do have like flagship bases, I guess, like yeah. and they're not always on tap, but you know, we, we have, you know, this beer that we adjunct differently, but it is the same beer, um, the same base. So it's, it's, it's kind of just a, a little bit it's a spin on flagships, um, <laughs> but people who come in a lot, they know like that base style. Like they know that they love like butterflies or they know that they love, you know, uh, dreams in color. Like they, they know, or they, they're a stout person and they love rise up. And so they come in enough that they don't care really what the adjuncts are. They're going to try that because that is the beer that they love, the base of the beer that they love. Where does the inspiration come from? I drink a lot. Um, like a lot. I drink a lot of beer from a lot of different places. Um, I have a lot of like really cool friends that um, are not shy about sharing beer with me and telling me that this beer is amazing and that I should drink it or I should try it. So I'm lucky that like I have people who bring me beer because I write like a lot of times I can't go right now to a lot of places. But um, so we travel to a lot of places. We try a lot of unique styles and um, and I, I love to eat. I love to, to, to you know, cook food. And so I, I feel like I draw a lot of inspiration from foods that I've had or desserts that I've had or um, beers that I've drank at someone else's brewery. They're certainly not like unique ideas to me. I didn't like invent the red velvet empty canvas beer. I had a red velvet cake and decided that I wanted to do it. Like, so it, it's a lot of me um, stealing ideas from other, you know, areas of, of my life. And, and sometimes just, I had a beer and I liked it and I wanted to remake it. This is actually a really great segue into the beer that we're drinking. I'm not going to lie. We've, I've been drinking it for now the last 15 minutes. And I, for someone who doesn't like desserts and doesn't like sweets, I'm loving this beer. I think this is a great example for me. I think we, you know, we've talked about, we, we kind of have our, I think my, my taste is more eclectic but you know, we each have our comfort zone. And I think for me, this is a great example of maybe the first taste is like, wow, this is different. But the more that I drink this, I'm, I'm, I'm truly loving it. So we are having the ever after the peach mango orange. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this beer? 
Um, yeah, so so sours are um, something that I personally do not like to drink. Um, they interesting. are interesting. It is really interesting because most people that come to the brewery come because they they want a sour. Um, so it is really interesting. I started brewing sours because my wife loves them. And she's like, why can't you brew this? And I'm like, I know nothing about sour. <laughs> and it, the first couple times I tried, it went really terrible, um, smelled awful, wasn't a good experience. And she's like, okay, maybe, maybe we shouldn't brew sours, <laughs> but <laughs> I got it. I eventually got it right. And um, it's just something that for some reason I can do really well and really easily and people seem to really like them. And so I keep making them, but, um, uh, we have probably, I'd say five different base sours and they all range from, you know, heavily fruited, like the one that you're drinking now to, you know, a little bit of fruit and a little bit of spice. And there's some, you know, range in there and ever after is the, the most heavily, fruited of any of the beers that we do and depending on the fruit that is in it it can be very smoothie like or it can be chunky or it can just be kind of thick or just very flavorful um, depending on whatever the fruit is that you're you're adding to it so that one in particular has a lot of um, citrusy orangey um, we've done a lot of like darker versions so like have raspberry blackberry blueberry that kind of thing um, but that one in particular is uh, just has a, a, a lot of fruit in it. And um, we, we don't do it very often. I'd say we probably put those beers out maybe quarterly and they're always different. Sometimes we'll bring back one version or two versions. We like to do them in like a mixed pack so you can try you know, four different versions of that. Um, they're all super, super expensive to make because they have so much fruit in them, um, but people like them. My wife loves them. And she's like, Hey, you need to add more fruit. This isn't enough fruit. <laughs> well, more as fruit. someone who doesn't typically drink this, I mean, I do drink sours, um, every once in a while, although I'm typically kind of in the IPA realm, but I will say, tell you why I like this beer. So as someone who loves pulp, I love the thickness mm -hmm. of it. I love that it is like true to, I, I think a sour, like kind of that tartness, um, but it still isn't unlike a beer. Like, I feel like I've had ones where I'm just like, this is not a beer. You mm -hmm. cannot classify <laughs> this as a beer, but like I it's, it's drinkable. I think it is, it's a sweeter than what I would usually have. It's just very drinkable. Very drink. So I think for me, the fruit, the sweetness of the fruit actually cuts the sour because I've yeah. had, I think we can all probably say we've had those sours that are just, you know, uh, what's the air, air, uh, What's that candy? The airheads? Not the airheads. The sour cash. No. The little you're thinking of warheads. Thank you. I have had those sour beers where your tongue yes, like yeah, you yeah. can smell it and your tongue is just already just like uh where mm. this I think the sweetness of the fruit cuts it uh for me personally. Um and makes this very and I'm agree, I'm a huge pulp fan. So the thickness I think is very nice. Yeah, and you don't I feel like you don't get that a lot. No. So I would like to go back. I have a question uh, for you. Uh, go back to your origin story, if I can call it that. Um, at what point did you decide to take this home brewing hobby to a business? Like what made you want to, you know, switch that from, you know, you kind of shared you, you had your full-time job with benefits and paid time off. And what made you yeah. think I want to open a brewery and do this for a living? I had a great job. Um, I sometimes still like think back to that because it, it wasn't really that long ago. Um, when I opened the brewery, I was actually working full-time still and um, opening the brewery. That was always the plan was for me to keep working um, because having a job that, you know, has benefits, has retirement, um, it was, I mean, that that's awesome. And, and I had a great job. I had a job that I probably would have worked for the rest of my life had I not had this huge passion that I couldn't really escape. Um, but I think for me, there was like a turning point where I was spending so much time brewing beer. I mean, I was brewing two or three times a week and it already was just taking up so much time that my wife, I think kind of, I mean, I had been bugging her like, Hey, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And she's like, Nope, Nope, Nope. But I was doing it so often already that it, 
she's like why don't we just do it like you're down there in the basement the basement the entire basement is your like brewery already like why don't we just do this and actually try to like make a career out of it instead of it just being something that you spend all of your time doing anyway right so that was kind of it um I mean obviously there was a lot of like hardship in there first of all like trying to figure out if you know, you can get a loan, you know, a small business loan. If you can come up with the financing, where are you going to put this place? You know, where do you want to open? And all of those things in between that, um, I think basically she told me like, if you can get an SBA loan, then I'll let you do it. And I was like, I'm going to get an SBA loan. And then I found out how hard that was for someone that is at the the time, I think I was 30, maybe I was 29. And they're like, "Mm, no, we'll give you a a loan for a $500,000 house, but we're not going to give you any money for a business. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But I I finally found someone that would give me money and she's still my banker and she'll probably always be my banker because she's awesome. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the moment where I'm like, okay, I, someone has, will give me money. Like I can do this. And I think at that point, my wife was like, well, shit, I told you (laughs) if you got a loan, I would let you do this. (laughs) And then it was like, well, it wasn't as big as we thought it was going to be. (laughs) (laughs) And you did set, you did some crowdfunding, right? To raise some money as well. Yeah, we did. We did some crowdfunding. um, And that definitely helped a lot with the like off to offset, like where we, we thought we needed um, and what we were actually able to get from the bank. And then also like everything costs more than what you actually thought it was going to cost, you know? And so there, it definitely helped make up some of that shortfall for sure. And actually interesting enough about that Angelo circling back was <laughs> the uh, donation that put me over the crowdfunding goal. And he like waited until like the last possible minute. And then he like contributed the exact amount of money that would get in like, and I was just like, seriously, like, why do you have to like do things like that? Right. When I like, could have been you could have just done it or you could have like not done it either way like why do you have to make it like some like dramatic like right. moment where I'm like bawling hey and- he introduced you to the whole thing right. I feel like he's got a mentor fashion, right. right yeah if he's gonna be yeah. a mentor you gotta go all the way so <laughs> um what are you guys working on right now that you are excited about people can check out in the next uh couple months so I mean we are we do something almost every week you know, we did Valentine's day last week. I can't even remember what we did, but we have Girl Scout cookies coming up this next week. We're going to put Girl Scout cookies in a bunch of beers. Um, so, I mean, we, we just always have something planned. Um, any excuse for me to like, try to throw some weird shit in a beer, I'm going to do it. (laughs) So people are always telling me like, Hey, do you know about national cereal day? Hey, do you know about pastry day? I'm you like, have like a form that we can fill out where we can like, suggestions. yeah, like I, I'm really like feeling asparagus and steak. Can we make that into a beer? There is someone suggested hot dog day. And I was like, oh, hot dogs are my favorite food. That's her wheelhouse. So I was like, I what? mustard or, hmm, you know, like people suggest random shit like that. I feel like you could do I don't know if you it want seems like a good if you want a con- hot dog consultant and mean <laughs> meaning I've had hot dogs all over the world in all different types of fashions I'd be happy to come on board for free pro bono work <laughs> maybe it would be about like the the toppings on the hot dog because yes, I bet yeah, there's some interesting the hot dog and the bread it's no, got to be the bread I'm, I'm topping really I'm topping. I don't yeah. know like pickle relish little onion I yeah. do love relish ketchup yeah Probably the thing that I am most excited that we have coming up um, are some barrels. So we put a bunch of beer in barrels our first year and we've done a couple of barrel aged releases, but we really haven't, I still have like a, a, a lot of barrels that are just sitting there with beer in them. And so I'm really excited to start kind of getting more into having like a barrel aged beer more often on tap so that it's more common um at this point it seems like the ones that we've done so far like we we put them out and they're gone like before the next week and so they don't there's not ever like a a, just a barrel aged tap you know Mm -hmm. and so I'm I'm excited to start getting um some more volume out of the barrels and we're filling new ones and so I'm I'm just really excited to have like a, a rotation of barrel aged beers where we finally started putting um 
some of our sours in barrels. So that's something that we haven't done up until this point. We've been more focused on like stouts and barley wines in barrels, but um, definitely put some like butterflies and some gin barrels. And we've put some um, Two Oceans, which is like a one we normally make cobbler type beers out of. We put it in a couple of wine barrels. We've got some in bourbon barrels. So I'm excited to start kind of playing around with barrel aged sours. They, they will still primarily be clean beers. So they're not gonna have like a lot of bread or, or wild yeast. They're just gonna be clean sours. Um, but that should, provide like a layer of flavor that we haven't really done before. So we will definitely put um, the website link in our podcast notes. So if people want to kind of catch up what you guys are doing, um, where else should they check you out to find out what's on tap and what you guys are rolling out? Yeah. Social media is like our, like best, the best place to see Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, My best friend does all of our like social media and she does an amazing job. So she posts, you know, four or five beers a week that we have, you know, that are releasing this next week. That way you kind of can like know, but literally there's always going to be something new every week. So before we move on, uh, we just switched beers. Now we're drinking when there are nine and we were super excited because obviously we're huge RGB fans. Um, I, I, when I decided to brew that beer, it was obviously like right after, um, she died and, um, my wife and I definitely, uh, idolized her, um, in, in a lot of ways, but you know, when, when Brandy and I got married, we actually got married, um, the week before it became legal to get married. Oh, wow. Okay. And we got married in our living room. And at the time we lived in a different County and the County refused to accept our marriage license. Um, they, well, they said they would accept it, but they wouldn't process it. So they'd take it, but. So we ended up um, having a a friend marry us after we asked multiple um, ministers, pastors to marry us, and even friends that were, and they all said that they would not do it. Um, So we finally found someone that would, and um, he was a friend also, but um, someone that I didn't immediately think of because I thought he probably, he worked in a very like public kind of And so I thought maybe of all the people, he would be the one that might not. And he was like, hell yes, I'll marry you guys. Just tell me when. And so he married us in our living room. Um, We did not tell my parents because my parents did not support it at the time. Um, We did tell her parents and they were the only ones in attendance um, aside from my son. And we didn't tell my best friend. We didn't tell, um, we didn't tell anyone that we were getting married. We just got married. Um, um, and we submitted our uh, marriage license to, um, to Johnson County actually, which was not the County that we were living in, but they said that they would process it. And so we got married and then it was only, I think like a couple days later, might've been the next day that, um, it became legal. And we kind of like looked back on that and we're like, why didn't we wait? And I think at the time we felt like it was just so impossible that that was going to happen like we just it was just so far away that the time that we would be able to get married legally that we just didn't want to wait and so we got married and then it got passed and we were like wow that's kind of cool that we literally got married the week that it became legal but when we got married it wasn't legal (laughs) but um so then you know we had like the local newspaper was like hey do you want and I'm like oh it's kind of weird that we got married but we'll talk about how it's legal now but fine and so for us that I think that for me personally, that beer was more of like, a, when all of that happened, when she died, I think there was so much uncertainty. I think I personally felt a level of an uncertainty and like fear and, you know, just, I just needed something that I, I felt like meant something. And so I decided I was going to brew that beer and I chose um, nine different hop varieties that I really like as kind of my nod to her and we brewed it like the next day like I was like running around getting ingredients that I didn't have (laughs) from like homebrew shops because I was like I need to brew this beer like I need something to 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 look forward to and to feel like I was 
there's some hope on the horizon. And, and so I did that beer and obviously like a lot of people were very supportive and I think we sold them very quickly. And it was, it's really, it was really cool to see that, you know, even though I, I live in this County, that's, you know, very conservative and we live in a state that's very conservative. Um, we still have people that come to our brewery that aren't and that support us. And so that was definitely like a really kind of cool, um, moment and, and, and thing that I wanted to, to do. We should mention it's a double IPA again, powerful. I love that. Um, 9%. Yeah, it, I was really excited to, to do it. And I've been thinking about, you know, should I do it every year? You know, um, should I not, should it be like a one-time thing? Um, I, I still haven't kind of decided, but, um, I think in that moment, it was just, I just wanted to do it. And I, I made that label literally the day that she died. And I, I sent it to um, my, my best friend, Janalia, who proofs all of the, the labels. And I said, you know, what do you think? And she was like, we need to get it printed now. We need to do it. And that was just kind of, you know, and, and I, I felt in that moment so much despair, but also so much like, just like, I, it made me feel better. I felt like I was getting that despair out in some way. Uh, no, I just want to say as a, as a, um, as a consumer, I remember, you know, she passed and I'd already been to your brewery and was following you on social media. And I remember when the beer came out, A, uh, uh, me and A, I screenshotted it and right, or, or commented and sent it to all my friends who I knew A, were, were service fans as well as RBG fans and said, we have to get our hands on, we have to go celebrate her. We have to get this beer. So uh, it sounds like it was a beautiful tribute for you, but just know that for the consumer too, for those of us who wanted to celebrate, um, it, it was beautiful for us too. But also I thought when it came out, I thought, okay, either this woman knew that she was on her deathbed <laughs> because it, it did. It and I love hearing you tell that story, right? Cause we don't, as consumers, we don't often get that, that view into, into what, it, how quickly you, you got your, your hands around this, your head around this, that you wanted to do it. But it, for us, it was so cool that it came out so quickly because I think a delay in it would have been, um, you know, it, it still would have been awesome. It still would have been cool. But I think the fact that it happened so quickly for us, it gave us that outlet and uh, let us celebrate her in such a fun way. I think it's such a great, this is what I love about beer. I think it brings people together. But to hear that beautiful story that not only was this a tribute to a woman, but what it meant to you as the person who actually made this beer. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I've, you know, really enjoyed about, um, I don't know if it, you know, was timing or what, but I, I haven't really felt like I needed to hide who I am or what I believe in, um, just because I own a, a business and maybe it's specific to beer, maybe it's, you know, industry specific. So it's an industry that allows me to do that and accepts it, or maybe it's just the, the change in time. But I mean, maybe 20 years ago, I wouldn't feel as free to do things like that. But, um, we really have some great um, customers that are just super open-minded and support things. I mean, obviously I'm not like out there like blasting my opinion, but when I put out a beer like that, it's clear where I stand and how I feel about life. Um, and our customers respond well to that. And I think that's something that I feel really lucky to be able to do. Um, you know, when June rolls around, we always put out, um, a rainbow inspired beer um, called Love is Love. And that beer brings in tons of people. And, you know, I, I walked out in the tap room this past time when we did it. And so it would have been year two. And there were so many people in the tap room. I mean, it was, you know, before really COVID times, but there were so many people in the tap room. And, you know, there were tons of gay people. And it was just like so kind of cool to just like see that like these people, most of them I had never seen before. Like they, they're not like regular customers, but this meant a lot to them to be able to just go out and celebrate the fact that they're gay and someone sees them, someone is them, someone, you know, isn't afraid to, to put out a beer in support of them. And there, there were lots of, you know, straight people and men there too, but it was really cool to kind of see that combination of like regulars that come in all the time and are, are straight and all these, you know, people that I haven't ever seen before that are gay. And it was, it was just, it's just really cool to be able to do that and do what I love at the same time and that not be, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there are people who don't come into the brewery because of that, but I'm not, you know, I don't feel like it is, I'm, I'm being punished so much that I can't stay open, I guess. 
Now let's talk about when you're not at your own establishment. So we've had some really good conversations in our interview so far about you know, the black community and inclusion. We've talked about women and safe spaces. And I, I do feel like one of the most under underrepresented um, communities in the beer industry is LGBTQ. We can talk about women, we can talk about black people, but it still is very much a straight male kind of, that's who you think of, you know, lumberjack sexual kind of guy <laughs> when you think about beer. Um, I mean, are you involved at all with other groups that are kind of talking about this? Like when you go outside of your own establishment or the ones, you know, other breweries that you like to frequent, like what are there things that you're like, man, like they could be doing so much better when it comes to just inclusion? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the the straight white male is the primary customer base, although I would say that that is not my primary customer. Um, yeah. But that is probably 99% of breweries primary consumer is a straight white man. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, there are a lot of, and, and I guess I should say that that's typically the person who is brewing the beer as well is a, mm -hmm. a straight white man. Um, and so there are a lot of um, other, you know, minorities that are not represented very well, even women, um, you know, have kind of it's, it's a little interesting, the shifts that we're seeing where women are actually passionate and involved in beer that are separate from their husbands or their boyfriends, like they, they themselves like beer. And so, yeah, I mean, you definitely have these different groups, you know, women, I think it is very uncommon for, for, to go into a brewery and see someone of color in, in oh, brewery, yeah. whether Hispanic we were or just black. talking about this. Um, that I went to Six Mile in St. Louis and there was a black man there who I think was also one of the like either a brewer working, you know, behind the bar. And I did a double take and was like, oh, there's a black man here. Because, you know, again, it's not like that they're not accepted. It's just that you never see it. And I feel like there's such something systemic there where, hey, I know tons of black people who want to drink beer, but do I ever see them out? Right. Like, no. And like, wh where, where is the failing there? And I think it's kind of, it's, it's very similar to what we're talking about with women. And, you know, this is like the first time we kind of broached the, the LGBTQ, which is, you know, what is it that makes breweries not a safe space or, or something that's, it's not even safe spaces. It's about attracting mm -hmm. those communities where people want to go there. I think as a business, you have to hire people who, who look differently than your typical consumer. So hire women, hire, hire black women, hire Hispanic women, hire, you know, minorities in general, hire someone who's gay. Um, those are definitely like good ways to make a brewery feel more inclusive is to have someone there that looks like the type of person that you are trying to get to come to your, your establishment. So that's probably the, the quickest and easiest way. But aside from that, just vocalizing support is, goes a long way. I mean, that RBG beer that, that we did, people started commenting on it that I don't even think, you know, knew that we existed as a brewery because now they were hearing that there was a brewery that supported this thing. Right. Um, but I also think it, it can be kind of tricky because if you're like, you know, a, a, a white man and you're a white man brewery and you put out an RBG beer, you know, are you going to get some questions about whether or not you're just doing that to do that or, mm. you know, the right reasons or what do you know about it? You know what, you know what I mean? So I think there, there's a little bit of a, a disconnect, a, a difficulty to kind of, to, to make that work. But I think a, a brewery, local brewery that does a really good job of that is Crane. They put out beer for, you know, they're, they're very vocal about the, the, their beliefs. They put out beer that go toward a lot of different, um, they, they contribute money, you know, they'll have a, they have a beer that a certain percentage goes to this cause or this cause, and they do a lot of that. And their owners are very vocal about their support of black people. They go out of their way to hire, you know, black or gay or Hispanic employees. They, they do a really great job. And I think for that reason, it makes me more likely to buy their beer over someone else's because I know that they hear me, they see me, they, they want to help. And it's two white men that own that, that brewery, right. but they do a great job of being inclusive. And 
there aren't very many locally that that do as good a job as them if if any um so i think that is it's something that we definitely in every industry could do a, a better job of um but specifically beer because i think it's an industry that could be pretty accepting of it if more breweries did it for me that's something that i think about when i think about partnering with a brewery so um, I did a collaboration with Cross Strain, and one of the main reasons that I, I did that collaboration was because they were so supportive. They're, you know, their owners are, are two white guys, and they went out of their way to say, we love your sours, we want to do something with you. That, and when I got there, they had their assistant brewer, who was a woman, brewing with me. And so they were someone that I, I recognize that they are trying, they don't know how, but they're trying to figure out how to be supportive and inclusive. But it, it, it's hard. I mean, if you are a white man, it is hard to, to not just go along with the flow and attract your typical, you know, city hall uh, <laughs> customers, you know, but. I think this is a great um, example of what we've kind of I've talked about before, right? The power of the consumer. I, great beer is no longer good enough, right? We have a plethora, a, a, a cornucopia of <laughs> options, right? In the craft brew industry, even here in, in Kansas, right? I think this is such a good example of, to hear you say as a brewer, even choosing who you want to collaborate with, me anymore, if I choose who I want to drink, it's no longer just about, is your beer good for me? I want to know where you stand on these issues. You know, I, we often look for breweries who are doing, um, uh, you recently came out with a beer that donated part of its proceeds to an organization, I believe. Sorry, I'm gonna let you handle it, but um, I don't remember the details, but uh, for a young man who, or a, a, a kid who lost his life at a young age, um, those are the kinds of things that speak to me. Community's big to me. And I think that's what drew me to craft beer in the beginning. But I think, you know, kind of piggybacking on what you said, it's such a great example of not just consumerism, but when you choose to, you want to collaborate with, you want to make sure that that they're representing your values too, right? Because you want your consumers to be on the same page, you know? Yeah. I mean, even like when we choose a, a partner for food or, you know, the type of coffee that I want to put in the beer, um, if I know that there is a, a coffee shop that is owned by someone who's black or someone that's a woman or whatever, then I am more inclined to use them in my beer than someone who is not. And I think just small decisions like that, I think can, I don't even know if people know that, um, you know, like there was this article that came out in the uh, Shawnee Mission Post and it was black owned businesses and like when I saw that article I looked at it and I'm like okay that one I can use and that one I can use and that one I can use and emailed them immediately and said hey I, I had no idea that you existed but I want to use this or this I mean obviously like I can't use some things but right. um Wow, I feel like this has just been super enlightening. I feel so enlightened. Yeah and I feel like a lot of people will really appreciate mm -hmm. this. So we're we're going to open the last beer and we're going to talk about that, but um, I'd also love to, you know, because I, I know we've borrowed a whole bunch of your time, but I would love to talk about some of the other stuff that you've got going on. So one of the coolest things um, that we read about was the fact that Aaron, your son, is making his own craft soda. What is that about? Yeah, <clears throat> when we would travel, we would go to, you know, a, a ton of breweries and it would be like the highlight of his day if they had a root beer on tap or their own root beer or some sort of a craft root beer that he could try. Other than that, you know, we'd go and they'd say, oh, we have Sprite or we have a juice box or, or whatever. But if there was something there that he felt like he could be a part of the experience that really made a difference. And so if you ask him what his favorite brewery in Kansas City is, he says Big Rip. It is his favorite. Because oh, yeah. Okay. Beer. And he, I mean, that is what stands out to him. If you ask him what his favorite brewery in Wichita is, he's going to say it's Wichita Brewing because they have their own root beer. Um, so that was kind of the the reason that I, you know, wanted to to start making soda with him was so that when people came into the brewery, they felt like it was a family experience and not, right. the, you know, kids running around wild while their parents got drunk experience. And so I, I think we probably have more kids in our brewery than probably most who don't serve, you know, don't have, they're not a restaurant. I think we probably have, I mean, before COVID on a Sunday, 
yeah, it wasn't uncommon to get a text from the bartender that was like, kids are everywhere. They're climbing on things. They're jumping off of things. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's fine. That's great. Like, great. whatever. Like, you don't want to see what happens at my house with my kids. But <laughs> so that was like the main reason. And, and so we started, you know, with root beer, that was the first thing that, that we made. And from there we, you know, we did some cream sodas and, you know, he, he just got more interested and more interested in it. And so when we opened, I, I was like, you know, that would be something that I would really like to be a part, not just something that we offer, like on one of our taps is a root beer, but something that is a part of who we are. And so, you know, we, we kind of did create like six flagship sodas. They're not always available, but we try to always have strawberry, you know, lemon, lime, orange, root beer, um, a, a, like a butter beer style. And so we, we do cotton candy, I think is one. So we try to have those, but then, you know, he has these random ideas of things that he wants to do that are inspired by whatever, you know, it might be something that I made for supper. It might be something he saw on TV, but he has as many random ideas as I do about what he wants to do. <laughs> Some of his are terrible ideas, by the way, but. <laughs> but I feel like so you never kind of, have a terrible if idea. If it's a first. hot dog soda, Melissa's in. Um, so he comes up with some pretty strange ideas pretty recently we did, a, we did a ghost pepper root beer that he's been talking about oh, forever yeah I don't know if I would I mean uh, I love spicy stuff but like wasn't ghost pepper what they were using to like do like those spice challenges like oh, it's like the like, second or third hottest pepper yeah, yeah. Like burn their well, esophagus I'm, I'm not a big root beer fan but one thing I have found from um my love of craft beer has been the pepper uh stouts that I never thought I would mm, like something mm -hmm. very sweet, very spicy, putting that together. So the thought of that just sounds very delicious. I'd be totally into trying that. Yeah. Well, it wasn't very well balanced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of let him decide how like yeah. spicy he wanted it to be. And he went super hot. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, wow. I was, like, it yeah. I was never see all the, like, even my brother. So my brother just graduated high school, my youngest brother. And he, I mean, he all he he only wants sweet, sweet, sweet stuff. So I just assumed. Oh, I'm like, not saying that he could drink it. He, <laughs> <laughs> but what he wanted to make was something very manly, <laughs> masculine. Yeah, yeah. So you had your people who, like me, love spice and thought it was interesting and just wanted to give it a try, and then you had people like him that wanted to be able to say that they could drink that right. hot ass <laughs> soda and. Right. He got his little taster and uh you know we were sitting there and he's like let's see who can drink it first and I'm like this is gonna go a lot worse for you than it goes <laughs> like, it had a, like a very lingering like at first it you didn't taste it at all and then your throat was on fire type of spice and so you know I drank it and it was uncomfortable but I was okay and he was running for the milk you know okay I have one last question one last question as a as a brewer who makes just a plethora of styles and you've already said right that that sours aren't really your thing what would you identify as your beer style preference to to drink um I think this is an interesting question because I would say that most people who got into craft beer the beer that got them into it is no longer the style that they drink so when I started drinking beer I liked stouts, like not like Imperial stouts, but like uh, Free State's oatmeal stout was like oh, yeah. a beer that I, I loved. And 1554 from New Belgium, those were like the beers that I loved. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't enjoy them now, but now the style that I drink literally every single day are IPAs. Um, yeah. I mean, I love a, a good barrel aged anything, but I mean, I can only have a couple of those and so IPAs are really where I'm at. Um, even pale ales. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I even gravitate toward um, some pretty easy drinking like Pilsners that are done really well. I had a really good Hellas yesterday. Uh, Courtney, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking um, the, the latest IPA that we released uh, two weeks ago. It's called Shades Are Raised. And probably the haziest that we've done it uses um lotus hops which are something we haven't ever used before and um i've been told that it is super fruity uh, i get a lot of like lemon and lime notes out of it so it's kind of just kind of a, a different ipa than what we've done in the past 
That sounds, sounds delicious. Very delicious. And we have just cracked open. We are having the breakfast sweet decadence imperial stout, which I can say I've enjoyed every beer we've had so far. But as a stout lover, this is by far my favorite. Like, wow. So the sweet D is, as we call it, sweet D. The reason I call it that is that, um, so it's, it's called sweet decadence. It's one of our imperial stout bases and um it's probably the one i've put into barrels the most um it's like super sweet and it works really well with super sweet adjunct kind of stuff like that so when we were like the first time we had it on tap my son for some reason aaron was up front i don't remember why but he was up you know at the like near the taps and they were like labeling them all like with on the taps like what beer was each and maybe he was writing them. I don't really remember, but I remember we got to Sweet Decadence and he's like, Sweet D? And I'm like, mm -hmm, that's going to stick. Sweet <laughs> D. So we just called that's it Sweet it. D. At the but um, yeah, so that one has, uh, it's like our, we did like a breakfast day uh -huh. where, we, where we had a lot of like breakfast inspired beers. And uh, that was one of them. It has, it, it's on the sweeter side, definitely. Um, I think it has a lot of maple syrup in it and that kind of, that's what syrup. it is. But I feel like the, I, for me, the imperialness of it cut, cut, like cuts that like, I love it's the chocolate and, and the maple syrup. I can definitely do. Oh, and look, I'm not the biggest stout fan. So it's not as stouts go. I feel like stout lovers will love it. I'm, I'm just, just being, just being honest. But I will say that, like, I, I drank an entire glass. So, you know. I, like, I had to convince her to take a sip. Yeah, I drank the whole When bit. I open a sip, and I'm like, come on, just try it. Like, I want to yeah. see. I, I'm still convinced that I will be able to get her on the I feel side. like there are certain days when, like, it's just a stout day. Like, you oh. just you need a good coffee stout to start your day. Then you yeah. need, like, just, it's just a stout like day. This. Oh, <laughs> My favorite. Yeah, I've never had one of they those days. You they warm you up from the inside out. Okay. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Courtney. We learned so much about your brewery, the brewing process, what inspires you from putting red velvet cake mix into a beer to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, thank you for sharing your time. Any last words that you'd like to impart on your uh, listeners today? I don't think so. Although <laughs> Angelo always told me, always told me to just relax and have homebrew. That's what he always told me. So I feel like that is my mantra for life. Like just relax and drink a beer. Beer Shits Podcast was created by Melissa Saban and Amy Bostic. Music written and recorded by Nicholas Forster. Contributions made by Marina D. Production assistance and editing by Elijah Hudman. We encourage our listeners to drink responsibly. Be sure to visit our website at beershitspodcast.com to get more information on previous and upcoming episodes and to buy our merch. We look forward to cracking one open with you next time. Over and out. We're talking about